What a privilege it is to be here tonight and to be able to take part in a commissioning service um, for a, a young man like Matthew to go into ministry. Um, I was choking back tears actually as we were singing before I came up because this is a special occasion. Um, you think about the big days in your life, um, maybe getting married and, and things that are going to set the course for the rest of your life, but actually this decision that Matthew has made to, to come and, and, and to enter into full-time ministry is is a, a decision of that magnitude. You know, this is a, a big deal. Um, so I was really surprised when I was asked to come and preach. Um, but um, it's great to be here with you. And um, I hope that tonight is helpful for you, Matthew, um, as you think about moving um, over to Aberdeen. But I also think um, it's important that all of us think about the decision that Matthew has made. And, and, I, and I pray that it will challenge each of us. It's challenged me, actually, um, as I think about um, how Matthew is stepping out into full-time ministry. And, and maybe you're here tonight, and maybe, maybe you too are wrestling um, with what God would have you do. Um, so tonight isn't just about Matthew, although he's um, the star attraction, um, I'm sure, for some of you here. Um, but it is, it's also about what is God calling you to do with your life? Um, as Robert said, um, we're, um, we're familiar with Hamilton's in Aberdeen. Um, we've had a few, and uh, I was joking with Robert on the phone saying that I was going to come out with all kinds of jokes, saying, you know, it's, uh, hopefully it's going to be third time lucky with the Hamiltons for us. Um, but in all seriousness, we feel really blessed um, to have had Robert and Muriel. Um, I personally benefited a lot from Robert's ministry and, and also grew um, a really close friendship with Stephen, um, who was one of the um, best men at my wedding. Um, so feel hugely privileged to have another Hamilton coming over, and um, we do feel like you are sending your best. Um, and, and on behalf of the church in Aberdeen, thank you so much to your, um, to your church and, and to this family um, who is sending um, men to work in the harvest field. It is important. Scotland is not um, as Christian as Northern Ireland. We um, are fighting a tide of secularism, and um, we need workers. Um, we need um, workers to, to come in and help in the efforts. So it's much appreciated. Um, there was one thing I thought I'd mention, Robert. Matthew mentioned to me that um, he met you in the, the, the way he found out about the job advert for Youth for Christ was he um, was swimming and he got up to the end of the pool and then he met Robert at the end of the pool. And Robert said, have, have you thought about checking out this job? Um, so it's maybe not a, an image many of us want to bear in our minds too long. <laughs> But um, God works in mysterious ways, and, and through meeting Robert in the swimming pool, the course of Matthew's life has been changed. Um, so we're really excited about having Matthew join us, um, and I probably should have introduced myself. I'm also Matthew. We also have a, a third Matthew who's sitting up in the balcony. Wave, give us a wave, Matthew. Um, Matthew Carson. He's also from Northern Ireland. Um, so there's three Matthews working in our, um, our little church plant. Um, my wife, um, Rebecca, and two children, Hannah and Bella, um, live in Tilydrone. Um, we moved there about five years ago. And um, at the moment, we are working um, in close partnership with the Youth for Christ, as, as Tom spoke about this morning. And, and we're also in the middle of planting a church, which is going to be called Dawnside Community Church. And that's a plant from Deeside um, Community Church, um, Deeside Christian Fellowship Church, should I say. I'm changing their name. And um, where Robert was a pastor. And um, I'm an elder up at Deeside, um, but kind of set aside 
um, for the Teledrone work. Um, so that's all a little bit of background, and um, yeah, we're delighted to have you coming um, to join us, Matthew. And um, we pray that you will be blessed as you step out in faith. So I was trying to think about what to share tonight, and um, I wanted to start with a little introduction about tennis. I don't know how many of you follow tennis. Um, I followed it um, more closely since we had our own Scottish tennis player um, taking part, so you'll know the incredible talent of Andy Murray. And um, we're now used in Scotland to Andy Murray being British when he wins and Scottish when he loses. <laughs> That's something that we've just learned to accept. I don't know if it's the same with uh, Rory McIlroy or anything over here. Um, but who would have thought years ago that Scotland would produce uh, a Wimbledon champion? You know, the UK struggled to produce a good tennis player for 70 years and Scotland came up with the goods. And um, as I was looking into tennis, um, this week, I, I saw the name of another man who, who was an incredible Wimbledon champion, an African-American player called Arthur Ashe. Does anybody remember Arthur Ashe? Yeah, hands up if you're over 50. Um, <laughs> so Arth Arthur Ashe won Wimbledon in 1975, so that's before I was born. I should say as well that I'm starting to get a bit annoyed because even somebody in the prayer meeting prayed for young Matthew, um, and that's not me. <laughs> And it's not you either. <laughs> um, but Arthur Ashe won Wimbledon in 1975, and his story was incredible. He was uh, an African-American player. He grew up in a time of segregation and struggled to succeed against the odds. And he offered some advice. Um, he wasn't a Christian, but he offered some advice on how to be great. And it's this advice tonight that I think runs through the passage that I'm going to preach on. And his advice was simple. He said, you must start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. Start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. And as I said, I think these pieces of advice flow through our passage tonight. If you have a Bible with you, I'd love you to, to open it to Mark chapter 6. And Matthew, I want you to listen particularly carefully tonight because this message is primarily for you, but as, as I said, it's also for everyone else here tonight as we think about what God might have for us in our lives. And the reason I've chosen this passage tonight is because I want to get real with Matthew tonight and, and with all of us, that ministry, it can be easy to think on nights like this when it, you know, it's euphoric and it's, it's upbeat that Matthew's riding off into the sunset and it's going to be plain sailing. But actually, ministry is tough. And it's easy when we're in our kind of Christian bubbles and we're in our Christian gatherings to think about heading into ministry and, oh, I would love to do that. But actually, out there, in Northern Ireland as well as in Scotland, it's difficult. It's difficult in ministry. And there's going to be days, Matthew, when you feel like you've run out of energy. You feel like you've run out of enthusiasm. And you're not going to know whether you can carry on. Ministry can be hard. And I want to read to you tonight from Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. And the title for tonight's message is, Jesus is the Multiplier. Let's read together. 
the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But they said to him, and, sorry, and, and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is the only miracle in the Gospels apart from the resurrection that appears in all four accounts. And that should tell us that this is one of the most important passages in the Gospels. But before we get to it, I want to give you a little bit of background as to where we are. Where are we in the, in the Gospels? What's going on here? Well, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has just had his head chopped off. And Jesus has just heard the news. And Jesus is no doubt emotionally in turmoil, close to his cousin. The disciples are just back from their first mission trip. Jesus has sent them out in twos to preach and to, to help people. And they've come back and they're exhausted. So between Jesus and his disciples, they're emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted. And we start off the passage tonight with, with Jesus saying, guys, let's go and have a rest. Let's go and and get some time away from all these crowds. Jesus had reached peak popularity. There was crowds gathering to see him all over. And it was so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. There was just no rest. There was so much need. And they're exhausted. And I'm not sure how they did it, but I imagine that they kind of said to the crowds, hey, look over here. And then they run to a boat and they start rowing to get away from the crowds to kind of distance themselves because they're shattered. And you know, ministry can be like that, can't it? For those of you that are serving God, it can be full on. 
And Jesus and the disciples try to get away from the crowds. But what happens next is crazy because the crowds see that they've gone and they can kind of probably see from the direction they're rowing in that they're going to Bethsaida. And they start to, to march. They start to, to jog around the side of the lake. And by the time the disciples and Jesus get to the other side, the crowd is there, except now it's bigger. And the, the break, the rest isn't there. And as the boat comes in, you can just imagine the disciples, you know, totally, totally knackered and thinking, please no. I thought this was going to be the day off. I thought, I always have Mondays off. I thought this was going to be the day that I was going to get off to recharge my batteries. And what does Jesus do? The passage tells us that he gets out the boat. And in verse 34, it says he looks at the crowds and he has what? He has compassion on them. And he turns to the guys and he says, guys, I hate to do this to you, but I need one more day. We've got to go and help these people. And he looks at them with compassion, the verse tells us, because they're like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus looks at them and, and, and it reminds us if you know your Old Testament of Moses in Numbers 27 when he describes the people of Israel like sheep without a shepherd. They're leaderless. And it tells us that Jesus has come to be that good shepherd. He's come to be the one that people need. You contrast that with Ezekiel 34 where God speaks out against the bad shepherds of Israel who weren't feeding their sheep, who were feeding themselves, they were just looking for their own interests. But Jesus is different because he looks on the crowds and it says he felt compassion. Now, this word compassion, if you look it up, it literally means that Jesus felt it in his guts. As he looked at the crowds, he felt it in his guts. And it moved him. He was moved to do something. And I know for us, sometimes it's easy to think about that word compassion and think, oh, well, you know, it's just having sympathy for someone. Or we can make it into an intellectual thing and we think, well, yeah, I think, I think nice things about that person. But that's not what Jesus does. The word literally means that Jesus looked at the crowds and he felt it in his guts because he knew that they were like sheep without a shepherd and they needed him. I don't know if you've ever looked at people in your family or people in your neighborhood that don't have Christ and, and felt compassion like that. It's challenging, isn't it? to look at them and, and to be so moved by compassion to think, I have to do something. And this was obviously part of the training regime for the disciples, this special day that's recorded in all four, all four wrote it down, gospel writers. The day that Jesus led them to minister, that extra day, they thought they were gonna have off. Driven by compassion. 
And so that tells us that if you follow Jesus and you grow to be more like him, you should be growing in compassion. And it really encourages me tonight to be here at this commissioning service, following Matthew being at Bible college, to know that these years studying the Bible have led to him growing in compassion to the point where he's entering into ministry. Because you know there's a warning here for us if we study the Bible, maybe you're, you're at Bible college tonight or, or maybe you're, you're just really into studying your Bible. If you're studying your Bible and you're not growing in compassion, then something's wrong. It's not having the result it's supposed to. And actually, maybe it's damaging you. Jesus looks on the crowd with compassion and he asks the guys for one more day. And Matthew, you probably know where I'm going with this, but I'm sure there's gonna be days where you think, I just want to have the day off. Man, that was, that was, you do get days off, by the way, this isn't, that's not where this is going. But there still will be days where you think, I don't know if I've got the energy. I don't know if I've got what it takes to do what I need to do today. And this passage tells us what we do in those situations, those three applications. First of all, you've got to start where you are. Jesus and his disciples in the passage start working immediately. Jesus starts to preach and to shepherd. They, they come before this situation and they just start where they are. And Matthew, as you start this new ministry, I think that's a good pattern to follow. You know, we may have programs and, and things laid out for you, but actually God will place people in situations in front of you that just mean you need to act. And sometimes we need to put the program to one side and we need to just do what's in front of our noses because our plans need to change in line with God's opportunities and priorities. So to serve Jesus, we need to start where we are. And I've been hearing recently, Matthew, about some of the ways that you have been serving where you are here. And I think that if it wasn't for those things you've been doing, some of them behind the scenes, we probably wouldn't be here tonight. And I think that's a challenge to each one of us, that if we, if we don't start where we are, we're never going to go any further. Would we be here tonight if Matthew hadn't signed up for the cleaning rota? Would we be here tonight if he hadn't been involved in the youth work? Would, he, would we be here tonight if he hadn't agreed to be a deacon? You know, Matthew, you've done all these things, some of them in the shadows, and I believe it's led to where you sit tonight. And when you come over the water, I want to encourage you to keep up that mindset, to do what's in front of you, to start where you are. And work for Jesus isn't often glamorous. It's not always glamorous, but the results are glorious. And if you're a Christian here tonight, the, the same applies to you. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I've not got anything to offer. I don't have anything that I can really do. I'm not like Matthew. I can't get up and preach. There's always something that you can do. Maybe there's a need in the church that people need you to come and stack up chairs. Maybe they need you to come and stack chairs on a Friday night at six o'clock. My advice would be to come here at quarter to six 
on a Friday and stack chairs. Because if you sit back and you just wait for that right opportunity to come, it may never come. There's always jobs that need doing. Maybe you're sitting back and waiting for that big break. You know, that thing, that just that one thing that is just perfect for you. Well, actually, it's unlikely that that's going to come if you don't just start doing what's right in front of you. You don't start doing the simple thing. It's really difficult to steer a ship that isn't moving. And I think that's the same for us in our Christian lives, that God steers us as we move, as we step forward. And maybe you're here tonight and you need to take a step into serving. I would encourage you to start where you are. So three pieces of advice for you, Matthew. Number one, start where you are. Number two, use what you have. This passage tells us in verses 36 and 37 that the disciples started to get worried after the day had passed because there was a massive crowd and they didn't have anything to feed them with. And, you know, I, I think just it's helpful for us to think about the size of the crowd here. It tells us we often call it the feeding of the 5,000, but actually there was 5,000 men it's, it's possible there may, may have been as many as 20,000 people in this gathering when you factor in women and children. What a daunting prospect is 12 ordinary guys to deal with. And they start to get worried because they don't think they have anything to offer. They don't have any money. They don't have any resources. And, and really, basically, what they come to Jesus and say is, Jesus, can you please tell them to go? Tell them to go and find some food. But look closely what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, you give them something to eat. You feed them. What? 20,000 people? You've got to be joking, Jesus. Surely not. I mean, not even a year's wages could cover the bill to feed all these people. We can't do it. There's no McDonald's. There's no Tesco. There's no nothing. How can we do that? And you can hear them thinking all these things. We're shattered. We thought this was going to be our day off. And now you're asking us to feed this crowd. But then Jesus replies in verse 38, and he says these words. That's what drives this second point. What do you have? I don't want to hear about your excuses. I don't want to hear about what you don't have. What do you have? And they, they, they go and, and, and go around the crowd, as you know, and, and they find a little boy, and they, they get the first century version of a, a Dairy Lee Lunchable, and they come back to Jesus with these offerings. And it just seems so inadequate for the need in front of them. What do you have? What do you have here tonight? God wants to use it. Maybe you don't feel like you have much to offer. And to be honest, you're probably right. Disciples didn't have much to offer. Just one little boy's packed lunch. But that packed lunch was given to Jesus and he multiplied it beyond their wildest dreams. What do you have? 
we're thankful tonight that you're offering up one of your best to the Lord. And, and Matthew, you're going to feel often like your resources are inadequate and that your gifts aren't enough. But I want to encourage you tonight that Jesus doesn't ask us to worry about that. He asks us simply to give him what we have. Nothing more, nothing less. And the same goes for everyone else here tonight. Give God what you have and leave the rest up to him. I think sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be someone else, to think, well, I don't have his gift, I don't have her gift, I couldn't do that. And we come up with all kinds of excuses. And I think tonight, maybe these words are all that you need to hear from Jesus. What do you have? Because I want it, I want to multiply it for the kingdom. So our passage tonight gives us three applications we can take into our own lives as we serve God. Firstly, start where you are. Secondly, use what you have. And thirdly, do what you can. All of us can do something. Let's carry on in the passage. Jesus asks the disciples to do something. And he, and he tells them to, to get the people into groups of 50 and 100 and to sit them down on the grass. They can do that. That's not too difficult. Even though they're still faced with this kind of massive kind of elephant in the room of how are we going to feed these people. But they, they obey Jesus' command and they, they sit the people down in groups. And you know, it's quite a simple instruction, isn't it? And, and I think often we need to ask ourselves, what, what can I do? I can't, I can't do that. I can't multiply and feed these people, but there must be something that we can do here. And if all you can do is set up chairs, then set up chairs. If you can encourage people, then be an encourager. If you're good at admin, then help with that. If you're good with young people, then do that. And if you don't know what you're good at, just try stuff. Just be available. Each Christian has been gifted for God's kingdom purposes. The need out there is massive, isn't it? I was hearing statistics recently that there's as many as three billion people in the world who've never heard the gospel. That's billion with a B. The need in this world is massive. And God asks us to do what we can. So back to the passage, you can imagine the disciples thinking, how's this going to help? You know, we can get them into groups, but you know, that's not going to solve this problem. But they did what they could. They, they got them into groups and they obeyed Jesus and they waited on him to do the rest. And you know, Matthew, I think especially in youth work, this is a real encouragement because often you'll be doing things, but you don't see immediate results. In fact, sometimes you may see results that you don't like. But you have to trust that Jesus will take what is offered, what is done for him, and multiply it. And notice here, Jesus didn't ask the disciples to put them in groups of 50 and 100. It says that he commanded them. And there's other things in our lives that Jesus has commanded us to do. 
And I think one of those that's had a big, big impact on Matthew is the Great Commission. Go and preach the gospel to all people, baptizing them, making disciples. It's a big command. But he asks us to do what we can. And how encouraging to have a young man stepping forward into obedience to that call. He also commands us to love the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, none of these things are optional extras. It's not like these are just for the super Christians and then the rest of us can kind of sit back. That's what Jesus asks of each person here tonight. Start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can. And maybe you're here tonight and you're thinking, well, you know, nice advice, but I'm just not sure. Well, I want to give you a reason to finish why we should do all these things. And I think this motivation can fire any ministry. And the reason why these things are important and why we should want to do them is because we should remember that Jesus is the multiplier. He's the multiplier. In feeding this massive crowd, Jesus is showing himself to be the true good shepherd of Israel. And he's fulfilling the the storyline of Scripture that's been rolling through the centuries. He's showing himself to be greater than Moses, who saw the people like sheep without a shepherd. He's showing himself to be greater than Elijah, who had the the miracle of multiplying the flour and the oil. Greater than Elisha, who multiplied the barley loaves to feed a hundred people. Greater than his ancestor, the shepherd king, David. Jesus is the one who is going to feed this crowd, not the disciples. They do their bit, but it's Jesus that's the multiplier. And you know, there's a word that stood out in this passage for me as I studied it this time round. And it put the shivers down my spine in excitement, actually, because I'd never seen this link. And I want to take you back to verse 39. It says in verse 39 that he commanded them all to sit down in groups on what? On the green grass. You look in the New Testament, there's not a lot of colors mentioned actually. And there was a reason why Jesus chose that word. He commanded them to sit down in the green grass as the good shepherd. Jesus is showing the crowd who he really is. And I don't know if you can think of another passage in the Bible that speaks about the shepherd of Israel. Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in what? Green pastures. Jesus is the shepherd. He is the one who teaches us to work 
with compassion. He takes our offerings and he uses them far more abundantly than we could ever imagine. He is the multiplier. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, we're just a bunch of nobodies. We can't meet the needs of this world. We can't multiply the bread. We're just the beggars that found the bread. And I think that's encouraging. I think that's encouraging for a young man going into ministry to remember that Jesus is the multiplier. He commands us to start where we are, to use what we have and to do what we can to go and tell others. And we can do that with confidence because Jesus is the multiplier. May your confidence, Matthew, be in the good shepherd who will multiply your efforts in ministry. You know, I pray and we're, we're all praying that God is going to multiply what is done for him in Tilledrone, here at Ard's Evangelical Church and across his kingdom. So that one day we're going to see the results, we're going to see the harvest, we're going to be blown away because Jesus takes our feeble efforts and he changes them and turns them into something glorious. People transformed. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. People taken from darkness to light, from death to life. People who are lost in their sins and bound for eternity without God, brought in to God's kingdom. Knowing the satisfaction of sins forgiven. Maybe you're here tonight, maybe you're, you're, you're here to support Matthew and you've never been to church before or you've never um, thought about Christianity and what it means in your life. I want to encourage you to seek to find out more. You know, I think this life is too short just to live without answering some of these big questions in life. Why are we here? Where are we going? Who is Jesus? What does he have to say to my life? Others, others of us might be here and you have family or neighbors that, that don't know the Lord. I want to encourage us all to have compassion to show them where they can get the bread. The great shepherd will take our efforts and he will multiply them. Start where you are. Use what you have and do what you can and have confidence because Jesus is the multiplier. Amen. I'm just going to pray briefly and then the elders are going to come and pray for Matthew. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is the multiplier. We pray that you would take Matthew's offering of his time and his talents and abilities, and Lord, would you multiply them for your kingdom? Would you protect him and would you guard him? And Father, I pray for this church and for every person in this room that you would challenge us to think about what you have given us to start where we are, to use what we have and to do what we can. Help us through your son, the Lord Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.